Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with Matt Haney, who when we talked was in day two of his new job as supervisor. He's representing District 6, which includes the Tenderloin and South of Market, and said he's already received 100 requests for meetings and a ton of emails and tweets from residents fed up with the filth, needles, and feces on their sidewalks. He's fed up with it too, and said the Tenderloin and Soma can no longer be the city's dumping ground, and residents can no longer be ignored. He even says there's been a city conspiracy to allow these issues to fester in District 6, but we'll let him explain that one. We'll be right back. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's good to be in your new office. Thank you. It's great to have you. Day two. Yes. 24 (laughs) hours in. What was it like to be sworn in this week? Oh, it was wonderful. We did a a big event at Glide, uh, hundreds of folks from the community. Uh, It was lots of fun. Rainy day, but we had a lot of people come out. And then yesterday we had another big party and another official swearing in. So it's been a little surreal, but it's been fun to have, you know, so many of my supporters and family members and just, you know, and then they just threw us right into the gauntlet. (laughs) You know, they literally swore us in and then said, here, sit here and get in the middle of, you know, the biggest fight uh, that takes place over leadership. So but it's been great. It's been really wonderful and inspiring and, and I'm excited. No regrets. Good. No regrets. <laughs> <laughs> Too late now. Yeah. Um, I was actually going to ask you about that big fight that started like literally a minute after you were sworn in yeah. yesterday. So there was a, a controversy over who should be the next board president yeah. and it, um, Sandra Fewer nominated Norman Yee and you nominated Hillary Ronan. Yeah. And then um, Supervisor Ronan had talked about feeling like, you know, there was some sexism against her and people not wanting to have her be president because she was temperamental or emotional or difficult. She even showed up in a T-shirt that read (laughs) difficult. (laughs) But you um, nominated her. So I was wondering if you could speak at all to that issue. Yeah. You know, I think as a part of that, we also heard from hundreds and hundreds of members of the community, many of whom are, are constituents. Um, who talked about how she's delivered for them, how she's fought for them. And so in, in some ways, that was also a good introduction to being a supervisor because I, I, you know, I was thinking that if, if for me, two years in, I had people in my community talking that way about me, that's really a sign of uh, somebody doing their job. So uh, I learned a lot from just hearing from her constituents and everything that they said was... Um, reflective of what I'm looking for in a, a leader of our board, uh, you know, somebody who's got vision, who's a fighter, who delivers, who listens, all you know, all of, all of that. And so I was very excited to nominate her. Uh, I think her district and my district have a lot of similar challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, they're you know kind of the focal points for a lot of the uh, economic inequality, homelessness, dirty streets. You know, we need hands-on leadership. And I've talked to her about how we're going to actually get the resources that we need to address these issues in that. I think that sometimes our districts are used as sort of dumping grounds mm-hmm. or containment zones for problems, and our residents are fed up with that approach. So I felt like she understands what the needs are of my district and our residents. So I, had, um, I was very uh, excited to nominate her. Uh, you know, and it wasn't in, in, in any way a knock on Norman Yee, who I think will, I'm sure, do a great job and I also have a lot of respect for. Uh, but 
you know, I, I nominate Hillary Ronan. <laughs> uh, she didn't get it. And now we move forward and we do that work anyways. Right. You just mentioned the words dumping ground and containment zone for District 6, which is actually um, a subject I'm looking into right now because a lot of residents are really fed up, like you said, with the needles, the feces, the tent encampments, the trash, and open-air drug use and sales and feeling like nobody at City Hall does anything about it. Um, do you think that District 6 has just kind of become where City Hall and the police are okay if it happens there as long as it doesn't spill into other districts? And kind of how do you... Yeah, and, that. I, and I think it's been a, you know, some people have blamed, you know, one mayor or one supervisor. And what I've told people is it's bigger than that, folks. It's a conspiracy and everybody's in on it. And, <laughs> uh, and, and, so, on the and so you we, we need to treat it that way. And, and because everybody's in on it, it's kind of no no individual is responsible. And so it's going to be even more difficult. It's not just going to be about replacing one supervisor, one mayor, or anything else. I think that sort of it's, it's it's unpacking, you know, how we've gotten to a place where San Francisco, because of the way that we've developed, has had you know significant challenges, particularly around people who have been left behind, or who are struggling, or who are addicted, or who are mentally ill, and some of that is because of the way we've developed and grown. Some of that is because we are a place of, of compassion and, and we have folks who come here who come with those challenges and that's a part of who we are. I, I don't think, for me, I, I don't think we want to take that part of being San Francisco away, but we do have to recognize the responsibility that, that comes with it. Mm -hmm. And it cannot be that we push folks who are the most in need to one part of our city and look the other way. And that's what I think that, that that many of the residents in District 6 are experiencing, a feeling of behaviors and realities and dangers and all of that and suffering. I mean, really, it's, it's not so, a lot of the people that I talked to in my district when I knocked on their doors. It wasn't so much that they were worried about themselves. It was worried. Of, it was them being worried about the people who were suffering and in pain and being abandoned. So, you know, I, I do think that what I'm going to try to do is uh, unpack that and challenge that conspiracy. Uh, Are you being sarcastic when you call it a conspiracy, or do you actually think there is one? I'm a little confused. I, I, I think it's a, it's a no, I do think it's a conspiracy. I think it's, it's something that sort of everybody just goes along with in many ways. You know, you walk through the Tenderloin, for example, and, you know, it's three blocks from here, and... You know, you've got dozens of people on the, uh, living on the streets. You've got dozens of people selling drugs and using drugs. And there's not an urgency around that from, from the city. There's not people who are walking around trying to help folks who are, who, who are, you know, who are down and out or who are hurting. There's not an urgency from the public safety front where we know that there would be if this was happening in any other part of the city. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we've accepted that reality without uh, the level of urgency and creativity and relentlessness from our, our city apparatus, uh, I think suggests that there's been some recognition that it's going to be that way. And, and that City Hall is okay with it. And that it, City Hall is okay there. with it, as long as it's in the Tenderloin and parts of Market Street and parts of Soma. Uh, and that was never okay. That was never okay. And right now we have, you know, low-income families and, and residents and seniors, and they are pissed. You know, this isn't just, we're not just talking about the condo folks who are also pissed. Um, my folks in the Tenderloin are the most pissed 
people in Soma are the most pissed. Um, and these are these are SRO tenants. Like this is like so. I want what I when I went into my community swearing in, I gave them the people there three commitments. One was that I was going to challenge um, this this philosophy and this approach that the city has taken around containment and, and indifference, uh, and that I was going to really um, at every at every step of the way challenge it. The second thing is, I, as I said, that if we're going to have a higher need in our area, we're going to need more resources to address it. We're going to need to, we can't, we, you know, we're going to have, you know, a concentration of low-income families and kids. We need more parks. We need, we need more shelters. We need, we need more support for the people who are there to actually address that need. And then the last thing that I said is that we need to make sure that we are listening to people in the communities and we are um, empowering them and involving them um, in the solutions. And I think that hasn't happened enough in, in mm-hmm. my district or in the city as a whole. A lot of residents of District 6 that I've talked to and MCC'd on tons of email yeah. from them, <laughs> um, I know you're gonna get tons too, uh, feel like Supervisor Jane Kim didn't care about these little nitty gritty issues on their particular block or what was happening in front of their doorstep and she was all about the big issues, which she's pretty much admitted, free city college, yeah. higher minimum wage, really talking about big issues and not so focused on block by block improvements in her district. Are you gonna be a kind of different supervisor? How would you evaluate how she did versus how you want to do? No, I, I think that I have to take what I heard from the thousands of people who I've talked to who are my neighbors and what they were very clear with me uh, about is that they want to see the block by block attention. They want to see the responsiveness. They want a neighborhood supervisor. Uh, They want to see a focus on homelessness, clean streets, public safety. Uh, And there are a lot of things that affect that. And and I think that, you know, Supervisor Kim took a more long-term approach. I think she you know, getting in the weeds, she thought, well, one of the ways that I can address those realities is make sure that over the long term we develop in a more equitable way. So she's negotiated deals that, you know, five to 10 years from now we are going to be reaping the benefits from. And I have a lot of respect for her for that. Uh, But I think that what the residents of District 6 have told me is that they want to make sure that that is not getting in the way of also responding to the fact that they've got, you know, a dozen of people living on their block when they live in an alley in Soma and it's dark and it's unsafe. And if somebody was giving real attention to that and bringing people together, DPW, OEWD, the police department, the DA, Department of Homelessness, Public Health, that let's see if we can get some solutions here that affect people's lives next week as well as 10 years from now. And so that's where I'm going to be putting a lot of my attention because I think it's my responsibility uh, uh, from what I've heard from the residents. Are other districts and supervisors doing their, pulling their weight in terms of dealing with these issues? I, um, the late Mayor Ed Lee called on each one to find a place for a navigation center in their district, and there's still only navigation centers in District 6, 9, and 10. And other supervisors keep saying, oh, oh I'm looking, I'm looking. They've been looking for like three years. <laughs> do, do other supervisors need to do? Oh, absolutely. Job? I mean, you know, I, I think we need to build more housing and more shelters and more services and everything in District 6. But it cannot continue with us being really the only ones doing it. And I just went to a navigation center opening, which I'm very happy to see a navigation center open in District 6. Uh, but 
I, I, I would question the seriousness, uh, with all due respect, of the other city officials if we're still waiting on them to find a navigation center and a shelter. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be and shouldn't be put on the supervisor. You know, I said this when I was on your podcast when I was running, that I would like to see the mayor come out with a plan saying, we are going to secure a site in every single uh, supervisor district. And we are going to ask some shared responsibility and sacrifice here. And here's the amount of time that we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to fund it. And we want you all to get on board with this. And there's going to be an expedited timeline around community process and everything else. Uh, because I, I think we're slow rolling it. You know, I was very happy to see the Navigation Center open today. We need a lot more and we need them quickly and we need them all over the city. And if we're not doing that through a shared responsibility and sacrifice, I think we're never going to get there. So, yes, they need to build more housing. They need to build more services. They need to also take care of folks who are mentally ill and addicted. We cannot do it all mm -hmm. in District 6. Uh, we are doing our share, and we will continue to do more. I'm not saying we're going to shut it, shut it off. Uh, but I, I think we all understand that it needs to also be placed around the city. It seems at least a lot of residents feel that it's um, de facto legal to shoot up in San Francisco on the sidewalks to be completely high, even to deal drugs, um, because not much happens um, to any of those people. What is your perspective on that? What should happen if someone is, say, on Howard Street shooting up in broad daylight in front of other people? Well, it is, it is unacceptable, and this is where you know I have a sense that of the approach and strategy around containment in, in our city and the way that District 6 fits into that is that if you were shooting up in the marina or in Noe Valley, I actually think you would, there would be a response and something would happen. Uh, so the city does know how to respond to it. Um, what we need to get to a point of is that we have the coordinated and, and, and serious response that uh, involves uh, Deep, uh, Department of Public Health, the Police Department, Department of Health, and we do it in some cases on a one-off. You know, uh, I'll hear you know, oh, next week we're doing our once monthly encampment outreach where we go out and we find the drug users and we provide them with that immediate, uh, you know, in the field support and we get them into services and all that. Well, we need more of that on an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see people who are out there who are using and people just walk by them and people do nothing. You know, if we're at a point already in a city, as creative as we are, as technological where we are, as we hold ourselves as the progressive this and that, if we've already got to a point in our city where, we, where our answer is, well, because we can't arrest them and we can't in, in open a safe injection site, there's nothing we can do, I think that's ridiculous. Um, that's bureaucratic indifference and it's an inertia, and I will challenge that. And so what would you do? What should happen? Well, I, I, again, there, there are ways that, that I've seen effective approaches where we're using pol police along with de uh, Department of Public Health to get people immediate in-the-field treatment, um, which can help them get off of op op opiates. Um, we also need to, opioids. We also need to make sure that um, when we're doing that, that there's some opportunities in some cases for people who need housing or ongoing treatment or support. 
um, you know, it, 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 and, and obviously the police need to be involved with that um, to challenge the, the, what, what can happen when you just are allowing it everywhere without any sort of urgency of response. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a, um, a hot team, homeless outreach team. I don't see enough of the drug outreach team. I would like to see a dot, you know, <laughs> and we do have something like that. But it's very rare and it's one off. And, you know, if somebody's out there using drugs, I want to have somebody who's in their face all the time mm-hmm. and tell me, you can't do that here. You can't do that here. But this is what we can offer you. And it's going to take a, a more serious, coordinated approach. And it's going to take an end to uh, allowing it in certain places, which is how we deal with it now. So I'm not saying it's easy. I'm also not saying I have all the answers. But I also I get I get worried when I hear someone who's in a position where there need to be solving these problems, tell me there's nothing we can do, mm-hmm. or because I can't do this one thing, then I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's unacceptable uh, in, in, in a city like ours. What do you think of the health department's policy of giving unlimited free needles to drug users without requiring them to return their dirty ones or to do any cleanup? Yeah, this, is a, this is a problem. I, I think that, you know, I, I, I understand the health reason for giving the unlimited needles. Um, I think that, you know, my understanding is that if you require them to bring them back, then if they don't have them, then they might end up using the dirty ones. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it, it creates, we don't want, it, we, we will also want to, you know, make sure that we're not creating pub, a public health crisis here. Uh, with that said, we know that we have a problem where, if these needles are just going out and they're ending up all over the streets, that's also a public health right. crisis. So, so w- what type of responsibility and strategies can we use, particularly around areas where these needles are going out, to make sure that there's really strong enhanced cleanup, that there's responsibility on the providers uh, to help with that and to come up with strategies for that. We should have some sort of incentives. I don't know if it's like a one-for-one kind of thing, but let's you know let's get innovative here. Where is this working? Where are we get where? How are we, you know? How can we incentivize people to? If they're using needles to return them somewhere, mm-hmm. um, you know, people return cans and they get five cents, right? Like, <laughs> like, how do we, both people who are using and regular citizens, in in, in um, invest them in this process and incentivize them to help us keep keep the streets clean? So I would want to see different pilots and opportunities mm-hmm. to think about ways that we can work with providers, city departments. Um, to figure out how to, how to address this problem more creatively. Great. Shifting gears, another big issue you're going to be faced with almost immediately is how to spend the city's $181 million oh. windfall that fell into um, the collective lap <laughs> a few weeks ago. Uh, the mayor wants it to all go to homeless services, but um, you served on the school board, and I know that you're interested in seeing $60 million, I believe, go to teacher salaries. Um, can you talk about how you decided that and if you would vote for something that didn't include more? Teacher pay? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, I'm having a forum on this, a town hall on this in my district tomorrow night, and we expect a couple hundred people. And for me, it's really important to hear uh, from my constituents about how uh, they want this money to be spent. So, there's a whole public process that needs to happen. Um, I definitely need to think we need to spend a lot more money on homelessness and affordable housing and mental health and street cleaning. Um, so I'm going to be advocating a, a lot for that. This isn't our only opportunity to do that. Um, we're going to have a whole budget process. And, you know, honestly, um, I do think 
It needs to be part of a broader plan to address uh, the crisis of homelessness in our city. And what I'm going to be asking the mayor's office is, okay, so you've got a number of great things that you're proposing to spend this $180 million on, but echoing her own calls during the conversation around Prop C, where's the plan and where's the accountability? And we need, we need to see the larger plan of how we're working together to address homelessness. And so that needs to be part of the budget process. That needs to be part of the larger partnership and, and working relationship between the board and the mayor. And so that's what I will be calling for, and that's critical. Um, this money, this pot of money for $181 million in discretionary funds, uh, is from the Educational Revenue Augmentation Fund. <laughs> just rolls off yeah, the tongue. just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> the important part there is education, yeah. and and I would and I would recommend for anybody who's wondering to know the source of this money. It's money that was sent to the state for the purposes of ed, for of funding schools, and this the the school district in San Francisco gets a lower percentage of overall property tax revenues and pretty much anywhere in the state. And the reason for that is not because we've decided that of some sort of wisdom. It's because of Prop 13 and a decision that the state made a long time ago. And this whole mechanism, the ERAF and the money coming back, is all a reflection of that injustice, in my view. Um, that's the only reason we're even having this conversation. So, Why would San Francisco's be lower than other cities in California if Prop 13 affected So this, this, the, the, the percentage of, of property tax revenues in a county that goes to the schools and the percentage that goes to ERAF um, is set in state statute. And it's different hmm. by county. Uh, it's very odd. And nobody, because nobody really was around to, as part of this conversation, can explain to us. I just talked to Phil Ting about this uh, this morning. And nobody can explain why San Francisco's is so low. Um, in reality, if it was much higher, we would have become a, a basic aid district before, which is what happens when your property tax revenue is particularly high, and that's what Palo Alto is and different places in uh, um, school districts in Marin. So we would have become a basic aid district. But if we were a basic aid district, we would get a lot more money. <laughs> so in, in, in layperson's terms, what this means is property tax revenues skyrocketing in San Francisco in recent years, very little positive consequence for our schools huh. and so we can't pay our teachers nearly as much as we should be able to pay them when we think about cost of living and there is a relationship between property tax revenue increases and cost of living increases mm -hmm. so the very least that we can do in my opinion is pay the teachers what we promised them in the prop g parcel tax to get a, a, a much needed but and, and significant but not huge raise, which won't happen unless um, we find an alternative source of funding because the money is tied up in a lawsuit. So that's my position. Um, I actually think, in my opinion, there's a strong argument that maybe at one point I may support that all of ERAF surplus funds should go to public schools. I, I, and, I've, and I've talked to Phil Ting and I've talked to the union that they should consider requiring that in out years. But we're not going to fight for that right on this hmm. right now. Right now, I think at the very least, we should, we should make sure that, that we can continue the teacher raises, bridge money similar to the bridge money we're thinking about for Prop C, and we spend the rest on the urgent priorities of homelessness, street cleaning, mental health, 
And I promise I will fight for at least $50 million more million in the budget process to make sure that we, we're not taking this money from homelessness. Because the idea that these things need to compete against each other, I think, is really unfortunate. Last thing, we got a lot of homeless children and families right. in the schools. And when your teachers are turning over every year or two, that is a terrible thing for homeless families and kids. So this, these things are related. We've got homeless teachers, mm -hmm. you know, so as you've re you reported on. So I, it, it, it does really anger me that... Some people would act as though this is sort of these things are pitted against each other. Let's give the 50 million to the educators. Let's use the rest on these urgent priorities. And then let's figure out longer term solutions and longer term plans for both homelessness and public education funding. Got it. Well, it looks like you've got a lot on your plate already. <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how this is all going to work out, but um, I feel busy. pretty strongly about this, and and I think some of the other supervisors do, and I don't know exactly where the mayor is, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna support um, a plan that doesn't include um, this money for the for the for the educators in the schools. I'll vote against it, and I'm, I've been I, I've already told the mayor that. So I hope we have some sort of compromise. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not 60 million. Maybe it's a little less. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I, I recognize I'm a supervisor now, not a school board member. But we all serve the, serve the children. Yeah. <laughs> we all serve the. This is not. You know, it, it, these are the same people. Yeah. You know. Well, now we will um, leave the serious questions behind okay. and go to our fun lightning round. Well, I think it's fun. Okay. Some people don't. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Now I'm nervous. Those are. Those are. I'm sure these ones are harder than the other one there. This is a very serious question. What All is right. your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, you know, um, that is a good question. I would say, um, you know, I, I grew up in the East Bay, and there was a place that I would always go every single day, <laughs> pretty much, on Solano Avenue um, called Gordo's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there was a Gordo's in San Francisco. And every now and again, I go over Gordo's and I, you know, I, I feel like a kid, a kid again. <laughs> so I love Gordo's. Um, it's, it's not, it's not a, probably up there with some of those famous mission spots, but, um, but I'm a Gordo's fan. Most people, Gordo's is the number one answer. On is podcast. that right? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. That's a company. surprise. But um, I'm, I'm with the, I'm with the original, the original <laughs> East Bay Gordo's. Oh, nobody has said of, that. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Benioff said Gordo's. You really say mm -hmm. Gordo's. Mark Farrell said Gordo's. Oh my God. I would have, I'm surprised. <laughs> I would have thought that, you know, there's all these mission spots that everybody goes to, you know? Okay. Second question. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Movie filmed in San Francisco. Um, hmm. I, I, I'm guessing that the, the most common one is probably like Mrs. Doubtfire. That's a common one. <laughs> That's a common one. I do love Mrs. Doubtfire. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. That's a common one. Um, what other movies were filmed in San Francisco? Yeah, I'm going to go with Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay. I, 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 I was the one I... You're bringing back, me back to my childhood here. There's two common answers. The funnier people say Mrs. Doubtfire uh -huh. and the more serious people say Vertigo. Right, Vertigo. <laughs> See, I've never even seen Vertigo, so that would be... Well, in your yeah. copious free time, you can squeeze it. Yeah, exactly. And what is the last book you read? The last book I read? I reread over the um, break um, Nelson Mandela's uh, biography, Long Walk to Freedom. Mm -hmm. 
Nice. So I just reread that one. I feel like somebody else said that. Is that right? Wow. This is, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize I was so typical here. <laughs> Gordo's Mrs. Doubtfire and Long Walk to Freedom Man. The okay, stock here we go. No. Uh, what was your first concert? Okay, this one, I, I told you this one already. Yeah, you but know, I'm asking you, you know on the this. Podcast. You know this. Uh, my first concert was uh, New Kids on the Block. <laughs> That's why and, I asked you again. And it was because I have an older sister, and she and another, and another friend of hers wanted we're going to new kids on the block and so me and my friend who was her friend's brother went with them <laughs> and and i think we actually like we're trying to be really cool so we're like booing the whole time you know <laughs> but but so but do you it, secretly still listen to their i life? mean I'm, I'm a fan i'm not gonna <laughs> lie um no but the, yeah that was my first con i think it must have been like seven years old or something like that and what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day coffee <laughs> I always in fact every morning I I drop by All Star uh, Donuts on Golden Gate and Hyde and I say hello to Van who's the owner there and I get a coffee and um, and just check in with her about how things are going on that corner yeah. so pretty much do that every single day <laughs> and she's pretty honest with me she's like oh yeah you look great today or she's like well, you look terrible today or like <laughs> You gained weight or, you know, like, it's wow. like, my, day to day. yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Did you sleep? You know? So it's a, it's good for the coffee. It's also good just for a, a check on how I'm doing, yeah. you know? And how did you feel, um, to know that you live according to the New York times on the dirtiest street in San Francisco? <laughs> well, I actually found out recently the source of that, which is I was, I went with and met with a DPW and, the uh, director, New, um, uh, Muhammad, told, told me that um, he showed me the list of the blocks where there's the most service requests and 311 and all that. And um, my block is just like twice as much as the next block. Is that because you're calling all the time? <laughs> and, and I, I, no, I don't. Yeah, the, no, it's not. It's not because of me. I wonder if now that I'm that people begin to know that I live there, maybe they'll just call me directly, <laughs> and all of a sudden you'll see a, a you know a huge reduction in the calls to the city because they're like, oh, we just call him, and yeah. um, they're already coming after me on Twitter, like, yeah, how can you let your own block be like this? So um, yeah, it's fault. you know it's it you know it goes back to what I was saying. It's it's um, it's not acceptable and. For me, it's one thing for me, you know, I, I, I can deal with it. But, um, you know, for kids, uh, for families, for seniors, um, you know, to have to step outside and there's just poop and trash and everything everywhere. Um, it's really not an acceptable environment for anybody to mm -hmm. be living. So I, I think, that, you know, we sort of chuckle at it and, 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 and it's quite an honor to live on this, <laughs> this block. And I, and I actually really do love where I live. And I'm very, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to move and all of that. Um, but it's also a very serious thing. And I hope that during my time, we can become one of the cleanest blocks okay. in the city. You're there you go. Now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Four year accomplishments. And not just because I live there. Not just because I live there. No, and we've seen some positive changes. I see some changes uh, that have taken place. But um, certainly it'll be, it'll be a big priority of me to make sure we have cleaner streets. That's something that, you know, was among the top three things that I heard mm -hmm. across the city, across the district, not yeah. just in my block. <laughs>
Great. Well, thanks for joining me today and best of luck. You've got a, a big job. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief, and Dominic Fercasa is this podcast's producer. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Have questions or tips? Email hnight at sfchronicle.com or find me on Twitter at hnightsf. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.